Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Be the best and you got to pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond Rich. How are we doing? Uh, Jordan, sorry, I was a little bit late here. I was updating my Twitter bio and uh, <laughs> had a little bit of a typo. It caused some issues. A bunch of blue checks tweeted about it, um, but I, I think I got it under control now. So, so it's, it's good to be with you. <laughs> I know how important that can be. Everybody parses Twitter bios um, to uh, see if there's news now. So I don't want to uh, I don't want to alarm anybody. Yeah, I, I really process. appreciate yes. I appreciate you taking care of that when you were alerted to your mistake there, Rich, yes. um, yeah, as, I, is, I as is what happened in a uh, similar situation. Can't quite put my finger on it, but oh, did it? Oh, I, yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard. Oh, boy. Uh, welcome to your off season, Jordan. I hope it's been restful and relaxing. Uh, I'm sure you've been taking uh, long walks and, uh, you know, having, <laughs> having some nice long dinners and putting your phone away for extended periods of time. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, here we are. Uh, I should say we, we are recording on Monday morning in case that becomes, uh, uh, you know, relevant at some point uh, as news is always happening. But Jordan, uh, Sean McVay is back. Uh, we did learn that last week. Uh, it was announced and uh, by officially by the team. So he will be back in for the 2023 season. It answers a question. And as you wrote this morning, Monday morning for The Athletic, it creates a lot more questions. Maybe not as dramatic of a question as the one that was just answered. But Jordan, can you uh, briefly kind of walk us through maybe what the next couple weeks here will be like for this team. Of course, it's considered a downtime when you're not in the playoffs. But now that they know Sean McVay is back, what are the next two or three steps here that are going to need to take place? Yeah, we talk about the duck furiously paddling under the surface of the water while up top looks very calm and quiet. Um, that's kind of what you're going to see for the next week or so, maybe two out of this building because they won't, in my understanding, they won't, do any sort of like wholesale announcement, certainly not a press release uh, about any sort of changes to their staff until most, if not all are in place. Um, there are changes happening. They're currently happening. Um, they're ongoing. It's a fluid situation, which is why I have not said anything really concrete. Um, as you guys know, I like to have full context before um, sort of diving into those types of things. We certainly don't uh, report simply for Twitter. Um, so <laughs> definitely a fluid situation. Lots of changes coming. This was going to happen regardless of whether Sean McVay made any sort of decision or not. Even before he got into this whole decision-making process about whether or not he would return, it was a foregone conclusion that changes were coming at um, multiple positions, assistant coach positions, um, on both sides, you know, maybe in all three phases um, of this football team. And I think that that's what you're going to start to see come together over these next couple of weeks, because even though they have a jump start on hiring this year, it still is complicated. There's processes that you have to make sure you're following. What I do know in terms of known vacancies right now, the first priority is offensive coordinator. Um, and this is one of those where... Um, multiple league sources that I've talked to um, believe that Mike LaFleur is the front runner here. This is going to be the first priority of getting this hire taken care of because that person also needs to broadcast a clear communication plan with 
one of the most important items that they need to for real make a priority this offseason, which is the run game, making sure they carry their progress forward. One of the few good things about this team in December was the run game, um, making sure they carry that progress forward with Thomas Brown, uh, making sure, you know, he's got a clear assignment of delegated tasks, which he did not have when the season started last year. Um, so all of these types of things in terms of the offense overall, these are priority priority tasks right now. And as I wrote in my column, sort of connected to that is, is Sean McVay needs to sit down with Matthew Stafford and sort of map out a vision board, essentially, with what this thing should look like what they hope it looks like. And that's obviously a changing thing. That's an ongoing process as you continue to troubleshoot. But Matthew Stafford did pass his exit physical, which um, some, you know, you could say, well, duh, of course he passed his physical. That's fine. You could be snarky if you want. But also um, it's kind of important because that is very much relevant to the nature of his contract and some of the injury and retirement to injury uh, clauses that are in there. And then also very, very relevant in terms of um, the option and the option bonus, uh, the option as contract and, and uh, sort of embedded within that text um, on the third day of the league year in March. So that's a lot, but those priorities are, are kind of what's happening, what should be happening right now. I think there's we need to, which we will get into this, we need to take a big picture look at the organization as a whole and its overall cohesiveness, culture, functionality, and communication. But in terms of the immediate, that's sort of what is happening on the football side, as well as on in Les's side, uh, Les Sneed's side, uh, going through the draft process, the pre-draft process. I mean, that season picks up this time of year really heavily. And so that's kind of what they're doing as well. Um, so those two phases are sort of um, existing in the same space right now. Duck furiously pedaling underwater. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I do want to get into some of that uh, big picture stuff, but let, let's focus in maybe on those on those two coordinator positions, because we should say that on the other side of the ball, uh, there is a little bit of a holding pattern. I guess you would is probably fair to say from the Rams perspective, because obviously Raheem Morris is uh, going to interview for a, at least a couple of these jobs here. So they're going yeah, and to has to and see... has interviewed in Indianapolis and it went well. Okay. So that's one that's definitely a holding pattern right now. Right. So that very well could end up happening or it could be another job or whatever. So that one's a little bit uh, less out of their control in terms of the things that they can do right now. I'm sure, Jordan, that they are looking at potential options. They would I, they would be remiss if they didn't at least have a list. And I don't know, Jordan, would, would we maybe see a returning coach uh, if that scenario? Again, I want to stress that uh, that that needs to take place first, if it does with Raheem Morris. But could you see somebody coming back maybe that uh, Rams fans know and that the players know? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the nice setup there, Rich. Um, and, my and guys, go read my column because there there is a lot of news tidbits in there that I think are relevant um, or uh um carefully worded hints too <laughs> as we like to say right. as, as rich and i like to laugh about right. um off off uh off air here um but ajiro evero i think is someone that they go after really hard if raheem gets a head coaching job ajiro is an excellent coach he's getting head coaching interviews like i think he you know will get a real look at head coaching opportunities this cycle and certainly will from now on especially if he continues to coach at such a strong level and he coordinated Denver. I mean, what a tire fire Denver was this year. And the only bright spot was a Jiro Evero and the way that he handled that defense and managed that defense and, and coordinated and, and game planned. And I think that that was, uh, that was um, very, very clear early in that entire um, implosion over there. And so that's why he's rightfully and fairly getting um, head coaching and coordinator interview requests. And I think, too, he has some autonomy because if a new coach, when a new coach comes in there, you don't know necessarily whether they want to put their own person in there. So even if a coach is under contract, even if a coordinator is under contract, there's some flexibility with the assistants that are in place on that staff um, to sort of, um, you know, have have maybe a little bit more say in whether they in whether they'd like to to leave or not before a new person comes in there and maybe fires a couple people or brings his own people in that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think that would be interesting. I think that Ajiro really gets this defense the way that it's supposed to function. And again, you guys, like I can't continue to repeat this as many times as I have, but this is not the way this defense is supposed to function <laughs> this year. And, 
um, you know, written thousands and thousands of words on why and, and the functionality of it is so dependent on um, the players and also um, committing to the scheme without having to worry about um, protecting the offense. So in, in, in the way that the Rams had to protect the offense all season and needs a functional pass rush, rush, which they didn't have all season. And I expect them to make aggressive moves to get one um, just like they tried last season, which also was predicted. Um, and, you know, it just, he gets it. He understands what it's supposed to look like at its best. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you don't, get Raheem Morris back because he goes on to a head coaching opportunity, then you definitely are looking at somebody of Ajiro's caliber to come back. Um, you might see some other familiar names that the Rams have worked, worked with in the past. Um, Aubrey Pleasant is a free agent coach at this point. So I would imagine that he would have some, some competitiveness from some teams. Um, and the Rams are obviously very, very familiar with him. So that's someone to look at. And it's going to be interesting, Rich, because um, there's there's a lot this group needs to get done. And so much of it is going to depend on the head coach. And right. now that he's coming back, how how he hires, uh, I think will be very, very telling of, of what I feel is a team in a very pivotal point in its juncture. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I want to I want to get to some of um, some of that stuff in, in a second. But. Just to um, circle back to the to the offense a little bit. I mean, you you were out front um, almost immediately about Mike Lafleur uh, being a, a possibility for those who aren't super familiar. He's obviously the brother of former brother of Matt, brother of Matt, <laughs> uh, former Rams offensive coordinator, now the head coach in in Green Bay. Uh, had uh, been the the Jets offensive coordinator for the last uh, couple of seasons. So talk about your tire fires. Um, it's uh, always uh, always near the top of the list. So uh, let's let's go down that road, right? Let, let let's let's assume that that's a strong possibility at the very least. And you hinted at this a little bit, Jordan, when you talked about the run game. But but what would a Mike Lafleur hiring mean uh, for this Rams offense? There's obviously been a lot of talk over the last six years, any Rams offense that is run is a Sean McVay offense by definition. He's the architect of this thing. Uh, And he has brought in different offensive coordinators who have kind of filled, you know, different roles, different responsibilities. So what would a theoretical, and I stress that word, a theoretical Mike LaFleur offensive coordinator job look like? What would be the goal there and what what would he bring uh, that, that Sean McVay thinks can be improved or changed here? Yeah, first and foremost, I've been getting this question a lot uh, on Twitter and in the comment sections of articles, and I think it's a fair question. Um is will Sean consider giving up play calling duties? Um, the my instinct says no. Um, I I think that as long as he is the head coach or coordinator of a football team, he will be calling the plays. And that's not to say that there can't be better ways to delegate within that structure and better ways to encourage diversity of ideas and and concepts within that structure. I think that. You're, it's it will be very telling what sort of progress or self-reflection, if any, he's done in that area um, as this upcoming season progresses, regardless of who he has at coordinator. The hire also is telling as well, in my opinion. Um, but when you're looking at, to me, the interest in Mike LaFleur speaks less about what maybe he thinks Mike will do in the past game in terms of contribution of ideas and more about some of that Shanahan system run game, that Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan run game um, and how it evolves from base concept. And so I think that one of the more embarrassing things for Sean this last year was being was sort of making this claim in the uh, 2021 offseason that addressing the run game was going to be his number one priority and the number one thing that he was going to devote his time and resources to. Um, And I think that at the same time, he also wanted to earnestly and genuinely wanted to start um, finding, seeking out young coaches and sort of using the Rams as a bit of an incubator for development of coaches. And 
this is beneficial for multiple reasons, not just because it's a great opportunity for young coaches to really thrive, but also for Sean McVay, who's running out of people to hire at this point. Like he's (laughs) running out of people because they're all here and then they leave or they're now the systems that he runs are so predominant throughout the league that now it's, there's a, there's a flooded market essentially for these types of coaches from these systems. So if you could develop your own guys in your own house and use and create like a functional and healthy incubator of ideas and systems and and stuff like that, then you're kind of in a win-win. You can find people who are raw as coaches and and young. And in this case, I'm talking about Rashad Samples, who Sean hired after speaking to for 15 minutes. Um, You know, you can find, you know, you can find those guys who have so much raw potential and develop them. But if that vision of developing people does not come true because now you're putting out 7 billion fires and plugging 19 different leaks on any given day. So then the development thing kind of gets pushed to the wayside. (laughs) Then not only does your vision and your hope for that part of the next step in your own coach, your coaching development and your culture fail, but also, you know, the, the, there's no cohesive vision for that place where that person was put in, which in this case is the run game. Um, And so this is obviously a complicated issue, but in the end, I think one of the more embarrassing things for Sean this last year was that as the league enjoyed historic highs of run game success, in part because of the way Sean McVay himself helped shift defensive changes um, and the way teams, teams are playing the passing game now again, in part because of Sean. Um, And now you're seeing instead he wasn't prepared to counter the very catalyst that he helped to force. Mm. The Rams had no vision for their run game. They had no plan. They had no clarity. Part of the problem was the offensive line being so disastrously affected by injuries. You can't run even some of the things that you want to run and all that stuff. Like, I get that. That's a huge part of it. That's the caveat we've entered every podcast this season with, and it, st- it still is true here. But th- you could really tell that once Thomas Brown took back over, mm-hmm. that's when things start. you started to see what that vision maybe should have been, could have been, because they were kind of going with, um, you know, fundamental truths of what the run game has to look like in a in a year where teams all teams are playing you in a certain type of way cam Akers faced a pretty low percentage of loaded boxes for example through december it's not taking away from his stats but look at the defenses that the rams were playing they're all teams that you need and you are able to and need to run the ball well against because they're playing in that shell with the the light boxes and some of those fronts that this defense deploys like all of them across the board so you needed to have been prepared earlier on Um, because the bills, for example, weren't loading stuff up against the Rams either. They were sitting back in a shell zone the entire game. They played, they played 99% of their defensive snaps were zone. Like the bills weren't doing that either, but you weren't prepared for it. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think like you, I think that that was one of the most embarrassing things. So all of this to say, I think with Mike LaFleur, that's what he's looking at, which is also another reason why I don't think he gives up play calling because it's still going to be. Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, and this is how it's going to go. But I think with Mike LaFleur, what you're looking at is how can you um, solidify and fortify some of these Shanahan system run concepts into this and maximize some of the personnel who I, you know, showed flashes, Ben Skoranek in in the run game, Um, Brandon Powell in the run game, although we don't know if he'll be back or not. Um, you know, Cam Akers, how can you continue to, and, and you know, Kyron Williams can pick up the system, no problem. Like, how can you use and diversify and fortify what you're doing and have an actual vision for this run game where um, you missed the boat last year in, in sort of embarrassing fashion? Yeah, that, obviously, you know, that's a topic near and dear to my heart. So uh, that's... Uh, I know, aren't you excited? Like- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to sell me on this concept, uh, Jordan, I think. But uh, no, I, independent of that, I, I think you're spot on with, with what's 
um, being said there. And it makes a lot of sense. And again, just to circle back on Mike LaFleur for um, anybody who's not super familiar, he did spend four years uh, with the, in that San Francisco uh, system with, with Kyle Shanahan before he went to the Jets. So obviously a great familiarity with, uh, with what's going on there. And the so. Jets run game was great. Brees Hall got hurt. Brees Hall, but yeah. What were they doing before that? You know, yeah. like it was, yeah. the run game was fine. So I think, you know, you're not looking at Mike LaFleur to be like a passing game guru. I think Sean sort of fancies himself as that, right? So I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> However you want to interpret that. Sure, that's <laughs> one way to put it. Yeah, that's, that's, that is one way to put it. Uh, yeah, I, so we'll see. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about that and, and, it, and it makes a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of moving parts there. Uh, I don't uh, I don't know whether anybody's going to pull Cliff Kingsbury out of Thailand for a while. He's going to be there enjoying him, himself. Man. Yeah, Good for him. Like, yeah, you know no. what? That's functional rest, man. I hope. Oh, anyway. absolutely. Like, not trying to get into any sort of like, you no, know, I, know. Uh, I, I hope for him that he is getting functional. I mean, he looked miserable by the end of yeah. the year. Yeah. And I think. It's going to be interesting comparing these two, I think, from now on. Obviously, mm. Cliff did not have anywhere near the success that Sean has had in his career as a head coach or as a coordinator. But in terms of taking that gap year or like taking the time and, and actually resting and like getting completely away from football, um, it is going to be interesting to see what what happens um, in, in yeah. that in that regard um, moving yeah. forward. Yeah, certainly is. So, yeah, no, as I'm. I fully support him for for doing that. It's probably the healthiest thing that you, that you can do. So it's also a delightful headline, frankly. Like I, right. no, like seriously, not trolling or or making fun of the I know, decision I know. at all. Like yeah. it's a, it's a delightful headline. Like, I know it's it incredible. is. Yeah. yeah, it was very. <laughs> so along those lines, Jordan. I mean, we we spent a lot of time talking last week. And by the way, really appreciative of all the uh, feedback that, that I saw. And I'm sure you saw a lot too. Um, uh, people saying how much they uh, enjoyed last week's uh, episode, most of which was devoted to, you know, Sean McVay's decision and uh, the things that he, you know, may be going through. So, th- you know, thank you everybody yeah. who, who took the time to, to say such nice things. It's very nice of you to go out of your way to say something. Yeah. Nice. That was really great. That was yeah. really great to see. Yeah. So, you know, so now the decision is made, right? And and Sean has decided that that he's coming back. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about kind of how this needs to evolve, perhaps, and, and change. And it strikes me, Jordan, and please, if you disagree, it, that's that's totally fine. But it, it strikes me that a lot of the things that that might happen here are going to happen, like we talked about the, the duck paddling below the surface, right? I don't know whether we're going to see a lot of out front, like you're not going to see anybody come out and say, okay, these are the five things we're going to change and this is how it's going to make us, you know, a, a more stable organization and a better coaching staff. I, like, I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to happen entirely behind the scenes and and the way that things are structured maybe and and that. You know, Jordan, you, you we mentioned your column uh, that got published. Um, and among the the interesting things that were there, I, I thought you made a really salient point about um, Sean kind of, I, d- I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'd rather hear it from your, from your words, but it, the, my interpretation of it was uh, kind of recapturing perhaps some of that spirit of 2017 uh, when, when he came in and made such a dramatic positive change on the culture of the entire organization. And that was something that I experienced as the beat writer at the time. It was something that got a lot of attention. Um, and obviously over the course of six years, things are going to change and evolve or what have you. But Jordan, as, as you were writing that, what, what kind of were you thinking there in terms of that's something to me that, 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 is maybe not tangible. It maybe not, isn't going to show up on a on a day to day. It's not going to show up on the roster. Uh, but but what were you thinking about when, when you kind of wrote that or when you when you brought that up? Yeah, it's twofold. So it's coaches and players. So I'm going to start with the coaches because I know we both have a lot of thoughts on this, and and you have some really interesting past experiences with other organizations, aka program college programs, USC in particular, that sort of are uh, you can always football is so cyclical. You can always find these patterns. Right. And so for me, let's, I'm going to start with coaches. So I think in my mind, Sean McVay has found the best versions of himself. Um, and maybe in the, at the time they were stressful and frustrating, but when you look at the arc of this team and the history of this team, since 2017, the McVay era, um, 
he has found the most uh, catalytic and progressive versions of himself when he has had somebody who is functionally at conflict with him in a way that is um, pushing him forward. And what I mean by that, and, and also has the experience that Sean can lean on. Um, and what I mean by that is, so for example, when he had Wade, he didn't really have to worry about the defense. Um, he he had, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur, who was, um, you know, giving him a lot of ideas about design and, and um, you know, was, I think really, you hear stories about like how patient Matt LaFleur was with that entire process and someone who you could truly bounce ideas off of and somebody who is going to have a high enough EQ to disagree with you in a way that advances the conversation. And you hear that a lot about Matt LaFleur. I mean, look what he's done with with Aaron Rodgers in, in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness, yeah. like that's a that's an interest. That would be an interesting <laughs> psychological study, by the way, just to see how that whole like balance or anyway. So when he hired so then he went without a coordinator right and then he hires kevin o'connell who has a similar style of eq that matt lafleur has and you could see that um with the way that he works with kirk cousins um there's a, a I just read a great piece about like how that dynamic works and how to how kevin balances that um but also two coordinators who have enough experience to where they have problem solving expertise to where they have um ideas that they can put forward that that change things or move things along at the same time when he had Wade, he wasn't really worrying about the defense um you know at a certain point i know he felt that it got just a little bit stagnant in terms of the way that the league was moving so that was you know that's the reason for the hire but when he had a veteran who basically you're going to be on your best behavior around that person first of all and second right. of all like you're going to um you just have that sort of um, balance that sort of ease of presence. And when you're in a room with somebody who has that much experience, who's that well-respected, who's that has that historic of a career, there's almost an ease where like, well, you know, this guy's going to have the answers because of the depth of experience. Right. Yeah. I, I remember Jordan. I mean, I did, this just occurred to me, but there was, and people criticized John for this, I think in his first year, but when the defense was on the field, you would often see him sitting on the bench with his right. iPad, you know, because he just like it was Wade's show. Wade ran the defense. So I don't I mean, that that evolved over time, too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that speaks to what you're talking about in a way here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay to have that in pieces, but obviously Sean has, has now has a broader lens on, on everything. And so I think that that was, that's a way of, uh, it's almost like forced delegation at that point. Like Wade's got this. So you go focus, flood the lane that you're in kind of a thing. Right. Okay. So then, and it's just natural because that's what you, this coaching world is all about, um, you know, mentors and, and cycles and respect and all this stuff. And so I can imagine it's easy to default into delegation of that nature for the positive because you just have so much ease with the person who's doing it because they've done it at such a high level for so long. And then there was a, a time where there's an opposite sort of a functional conflict. And that is when he hired Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, who is a unique dude who genuinely um, is was on a head coaching track and everybody knew it the second he stepped in the building. Sean knew it the second he sat down and talked with him and is a specific brand of competitive that only Sean McVay can maybe identify with like on a on a level that is just sort of out of reach for most of the human population mm -hmm. on this planet right, right. and right. so their their defensiveness like they introduced the mamba periods and all that stuff in their in the live the live competition the ones versus ones best on best live periods um those demonstrated the level of uh aggression that these two had toward each other 
and not in a negative way, in a way that was like, like I said, functional conflict that moved them forward. And we saw in a year of a pressure cooker like that, what happened? They changed, they changed the arc of the NFL. Um, so like that's being at your best, right? That's operating at your best. And then Sean, you know, seeks out someone, I would say similar to Wade, not necessarily in the sense of being a hall of famer, but in the sense of that veteran presence, somebody who will get it and he doesn't need to, um, you know, he, he knew exactly what Raheem Morris's process was going to be in terms of, um, basically learning this defense and then adapting it forward. He knew how Raheem was going to handle some of the players. He knew how he would manage the stars. He knew how he would do all of these types of things. So, okay, you don't worry about that so much, right? Um, and so I think that when you're looking at those hiring patterns, you started to see that and you can understand that on the defensive side, but then you're missing, you're sort of missing that, not just... Um, at your, you're, you're, you're missing that at your coordinator position. And so when the, a name like Frank Wright gets floated out, I think it's a bit of a Rorschach test for Sean, because it's like, you could go with Mike LaFleur. And that's, I think, uh, in terms of the lens of the, of what his foundation points are in that Shanahan system, I think that's a solid hire, right? But it's very specifically not an overpowering hire. And it's not, it's very specifically not a hire who's going to, um, sort of uh, be the umbrella over Sean. It's very much Sean is still at the top here, right? Right, right. And so when when you think about that, then you naturally think, okay, so Sean has to really be self-aware and um, self-scout the delegation because it's not going to naturally happen because you don't right. have a presence. So when the name Frank Wright comes out, you think, okay, well, um, that's a great hire in the sense that there's a naturally built in delegation that comes with having a partner and a collaborator of Frank Reich's status, of his emotional intelligence, of his presence, of his uh, experience and ability as a head, a former head coach. Like there's a, there's a bit of a difference there and I'm, I'm not comparing the two as people or coaches or whatever. I'm just saying in terms right. of the automatic structure that it sets up within that side of things, there's now going to be a question, has Sean really learned from this time or has he not? Is he falling back into his same patterns? And when you, you, I'm not saying either hire is a trigger point to tell us for sure. I'm saying what happens next will tell us what we need to know because he's, he automatically went away toward building in that natural delegation. You know, I believe that Mike LaFleur is the front runner for this job. If that remains the case, it is you, he went away from, um, that specific ladder type of hire where a natural delegation structure would be built into the plan. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating study to me, Jordan, in in a lot of things that I that are over my head, uh, to be quite honest with you. But in in terms of leadership, in ter- like it, it would it would be fascinating to me in a way to talk to like a a CEO of a company or a founder of a company because in in a way to me there's a lot of parallels there in terms of what type of leadership do you bring in and what kind of style do they have and what kind of people do they hire and how do those people complement them or challenge them or push them. Um, and and to me, you don't want to go too far in either direction. There is certainly a value, I think, as we as we say all this, there's certainly a value in in having people around you who you know, who you trust, who you have established relationships with, who you've been through things with before. You know how they're going to respond. Uh, there's there's absolutely a, a value in, in that in in knowing that people share your values on certain things, and I'm you know t- on the field, off the field whatever it may be. There's a lot of value in that. So I would never get to the point where I say, well, you don't want that. That's a bad thing. That That's a good thing. That is a good thing. But when you entirely surround yourself with that or pretty close to entirely surround yourself with that, that's when I think you start going too far in the other direction, because then you have to ask yourself, am I pushing myself? Am I surrounding myself with people who are going to ask questions, who are going to make me think, who are going to push me even farther? And and I think that's what I'll tell you, Jordan, and I, and I think I, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know whether I said it on the podcast, but the, the, when when Sean got hired in 2017 and one of the first things that we heard was that they were going to go after Wade Phillips. That I don't think I've ever 
um, and I don't mean this, to, this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but I don't think my, my esteem of Sean was ever higher than it was in that moment because I thought, wow, this guy is serious. Like he's going out there. He's not going to be afraid of, of bringing in somebody who has a resume that's way longer than his is Sean. Uh, uh, Wade Phillips had been in the NFL longer than Sean had been alive at that point. And, <laughs> and, but that, that told me that this guy was, he was prioritizing building this, this thing. And, and he, he thought that the best way to build it was by bringing in Wade Phillips. He wasn't going to bring in one of his buddies who was going to be, you know, comfortable to him and was going to have a similar resume to him. He was going, he was aiming high and he he was aiming for somebody who was uh, going to be even above his level in certain situations. And I think it's important as you go along to make sure that you're maintaining that balance. Again, you're not it's not going you don't ever want it to go too far in one direction or the other. Uh, but you mentioned and and I think I don't, I'm not going to reiterate everything that I said last week, but you, you look at some of these college programs that start off that way and then eh, they kind of waver a little bit. And I, I brought up the example of, you know, Pete Carroll in, at USC in, in his tenure, which obviously was a tremendous success. Uh, but you you saw that staff evolve over the years and you look at it from year to year where they started with Norm Chow and Ed Ogeron and some of these, you know, really, really veteran people. And then as it went along, Pete was bringing in more guys who were kind of, you know, younger and they were his protégés and that sort of thing. And you got asked yourself like is this is this person really pushing me is he challenging me on the other hand i think you see somebody like nick saban at alabama who when uh when it when a job comes open he's going for a a big name you know he's he's got bill o'brien as his offensive coordinator that's been that's somebody who's been an nfl head coach who's had a ton of experience he's not looking necessarily for somebody who is just going to fit in and be my guy or, or that sort of thing so I think, and I just want to reiterate, it is a balance. I, I think you need a little bit of both. You do need people around you who you trust, who you can confide in, who you know are going to have your back in some situations. I think that those things are important, uh, but I think it also has to be balanced with people who are going to push you in creative ways, that creative tension that, that you mentioned, uh, Jordan. So yeah, one um, of the things that worked yeah. so well in 2020, I mean, obviously like the offense was terrible, but like one of the things that worked so well in 2020 was was in terms of setting the table for where the Rams knew they had to go next, which ultimately led to not only the entire league changing, frankly, but also um, the Rams winning the Super Bowl. One of the things that worked so well was they, if Sean and Brandon have that functional competitive, uh, like positive conflict on the field and then game planning and, and uh, troubleshooting each system against each other, um, he also has Kevin O'Connell to balance him out and to balance out the frustrations that were happening on the offensive side. I would v very kindly, not insultingly at all, refer to Kevin at times that year as the middle child because he was <laughs> yeah. keeping the balance together in so many different ways that um, I think that they it, it really formed a very nice balance and it set the table for where they knew they had to go in order to win that Super Bowl in 2021. And I, I would say the same thing when, you know, you uh, but on the other side, too, I think when you you hire somebody who you inherently trust and is one of your closest friends in Raheem Morris, who was the right hire to make, um, then you also need to balance that out on the other side of the ball in 2022 with somebody who's pushing you harder offensively, right. um, pushing you hard. And again, caveat being the catastrophic slew of injuries and all of the things right. that they were not in their control. But in terms of functional balance in that way, you do need to also then have somebody who's really pushing you, who's not afraid of you, who, and I'm not saying anybody is, but I'm saying like, you just need to seek out those qualities where you're pushing someone who is really pushing you in that way, who's creating that sort of pressure cooker, um, functional environment. And you have to be willing to listen to these people. That's what I asked mm -hmm. him directly. Do you think you have enough people around you to you know, help sway you from maybe your worst tendencies and, and instincts to enough people to protect you from yourself, essentially. And he said, I like my support system. I have to let them help me. And to me, it's like the most telling, the most telling thing, because you can create this balance, which I don't think they had balance on their coaching staff last year whatsoever. Um, but you can create this balance 
Um, but you also then as the head coach, you need to take the next step and actually do that thing and actually help like listen to people, you know, when he, when he was learning uh, the Vic, the Brandon Staley, like through Brandon Staley's eyes, the Vic Fangio defense, that was when he retells sort of that process. It's like the most fun thing he's ever experienced because it was something that had been kept from him answers to a test that had sort of been kept from him, but he knew that it was so troublesome, irksome to his own system. And like, how can we reverse engineer this on the ground floor with somebody who knows it so inherently and so competitively as as Brandon does? And then how can we set up these live experiments and run these live tests basically to troubleshoot and move this thing forward still? I think that's that was, even though it was very stressful in the moment, I think he looks back on that as like one of the more invigorating situations in that specific phase. Um, And on the other token, it compounded his frustrations with his own offense. So, but you have to accept those types of things if you want to actually push this thing forward, which I think he, he wants to do, but it's his own words. He's got to let people help him in that phase, help as in push somebody because you know, that's the best thing that they need at that time as a human, as a creator, as a developer, um, as a coach. And I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Right. Right. I I totally agree. And and I should say as a, as a kind of a side, I do what I said. I, I don't think that's necessarily about age or experience or anything like that. I mean, you, I brought brought up the example of Wade, obviously, who was older and had a, a long resume. Somebody younger can do that, too. It's it's not just about age. It's not just about how many years you've been in the league. It really is about that mindset of, hey, I'm, I'm here to push this organization forward. And if that means asking some tough questions or presenting yeah, like, some things. I give no shits if I get yelled at by the head coach. Yeah. Kind of thing. But as long as you're doing it in a functional way, like right. in a way that's like again, productive and progressive. And at the end of the day brings everybody together because there's a mutual problem solving happening. Like there's, there are ways you could be like, I disagree with you. And it's a, it's a dumpster fire because everything, you don't do it in a way that's advanced emotionally. And then you can compound an issue rather than solve. But if it pushes, there are ways to push it forward and really great coaches, really bright coaches, Coaches, I think, with inherent amounts of, of EQ and empathetic leadership, like we've yeah. seen come through and leave this building over the past couple of years, yeah. um, I think have a capability or coaches who are are so bright in their space that Sean really wants to know how their brain works and what the mm. what the answers are. And I think that was Brandon's case. And then yeah. with Kevin and, and, you know, with Matt, I think that that it's that that uh, advanced EQ and that empathetic leadership that becomes such a way to disagree functionally and to move this thing forward. And I think as a young person, I would think navigating the difference between those two is difficult. So I don't you know, I don't I'm not unempathetic right. to Sean's own process here. It's just that I think right. you now it's like, this is a huge data set. Like you've got all of this data and there's patterns. And like, literally, if you were going to sit there and go galaxy brain and lay all this out, you know how like in um, some places they do these really beautiful, like muralistic street arts with different colored uh, different things. And, and like, right. it's just this huge portrait that's laid out from a bird's eye view. You can see where all the patterns are and all of the different intricacies and everything. Like, This is what you have. You have this crazy, interesting and elaborate body of data. Like you can look at it all with a, like I said, a galaxy brain lens and sort of like these are where the patterns are. If you're honest with yourself and you actually can see that uh, and you're genuinely interested in improving in that way. Yeah. And by the way, Jordan, I did. It just occurred to me we I, we spent a lot of time talking about coaches here. And, and uh, I think that's it's critically important. But, but when you started talking here, you, you said that there were two sides of it. There was the coaching side and the player side. And I don't want to ignore right. uh, that other side of it, too, because I think that's really important. So so how does how does that tie in uh, when we obviously we just talked about the coaching side of it. But but when you talk about the player side of it, what what are you thinking there? Yeah, I think it's so important because, um, you know, there there's a sense of like. I think the Rams established like a really phenomenal culture. Um, and a lot of that Sean should get credit for, but a lot of that too should be credited to Andrew Whitworth and Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks at the time. Yeah, and, absolutely. and, um, you know, certain guys that they had on defense and Aaron Donald and, you know, Cooper cup as he sort of grew into an adult and all of those things. And at a certain point, culture, begets culture it sort of functions as its own entity and it's we talked about this all the time last year it it was in 2021 was at its best in that it's it's a it's an alive thing you don't really talk about it 
but it just exists and it breathes and it enfolds people and then they understand it. And it's not necessarily someone like handing you a list of things or even talking to you about what it is and what it feels like. It just right. is. But I think there's also a time where you have to deconstruct and reconstruct certain spots, especially if you have as much player turnover in those leadership roles as the Rams did. Um, and I think that you saw really the gaps in where that was this year. And it's not that it's not because people didn't lead. It's not because they lacked leadership in the locker room, but it is because in, in ways, I think when you, again, like you're plugging so many leaks and all of a sudden you look up and you realize you've got half a locker room full of people who maybe don't know how these, this is supposed to go. You have a coaching staff who doesn't know how to communicate it because they've never had to like, this is kind of where you can, it's like a rubber band effect. All of a sudden the thing snaps and you have to really assess like, why does my hand hurt? <laughs> you know? And I think, I think it's really, it's that's going to be really interesting. My my personal thought is that if you're Sean McVay, you need to spend some time, like again, doing some deep work uh, mentally with your core group of players. You need to communicate what your vision is and how you plan to achieve and how they fit into that vision. Because I got to tell you, this is not a guess. Like if you're a player and you're going through a second year or even a first year of a coach not sure whether he will return that coach needs to make sure he he openly um commits to you if you're a player and your future is not guaranteed in the same ways that this head coach's future is guaranteed um if you're not given the same allowances as this head coach is and you're not sure whether the coach is is committed to the program um even though he says he is and like puts out a you know a statement through Jay Glazer about how excited he is like that's that's all great but what are the conversations that are happening behind the scenes. What are the conversations right. happening with that core uh, of players? And then also with the core and it goes, they're intertwined, the core of coaches as well. Sean McVay said a couple of things really tellingly, I think this year where he, I was asking him about like gaps in, in, um, in assistant coaches and the attrition and how turnover happened so rapidly. And he did mention something about how, um, you know, you're, you're starting to realize that maybe things you need to make sure that you're communicating the way that we do things and knowing that that can be communicated to the players. And to me, that speaks more to culture than to scheme. I think that that's really, really important. And I think that that's one of the things it's all, that's why it's all intertwined, but it's a huge, huge, it is hugely important in my opinion, like I said, at this pivotal time in the arc of this franchise right now, to make sure that you're not letting anybody question what your vision is. You're not letting any player question your commitment to them. And you're not treating it as, well, if they don't, if they don't feel committed, then maybe they don't want to be here. No, this is your creation. <laughs> like, right, right. you need to do the work now. Like mm -hmm. you need to do that work because these are human beings um, that you pride yourself on approaching where they're at and as human beings. And so um, I think that that is so hugely important to make sure that that is being done on the, on the player side as well, because these are guys who at their best, when this culture is at its best, I mean, we see what can happen. It is so kind of really just, um, just really cool to see how everybody functions together in lockstep and and behind the vision of of this leader when he's also at his best. And I think that that's that's missing right now, um, or it was missing throughout the last year. And injuries have a part of it, and all of that stuff. But in terms of that two way mutual communication that he was so um, it was so important to him back when he first set the foundation. It's not resetting the foundation. But it's right. recommunicating the things and, and doing so effectively, the things that make you who you are and and why you are. And and in that in that method and and mode, making sure that coaches and players all understand that level of vision and that level of commitment from the head coach. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jordan, about that. And, and, and I'm I'm not in the locker room. So I, I, I but but I, I I can look at it from the outside and I can see I can see how this happened a little bit, or I can at least trace the the steps that because you talk about that culture that that was put in place, and and I think maybe the 
presumption or and it's not, I'm not even saying that in a bad way presumption that it was just going to be able to continue you put that in place you have the leaders the leaders hand it down some people might move on but but anybody who comes into the room understands it assimilates it right away and I do think that that happened for a number of years there guys who came in who were considered you know I think of a guy like Dante Fowler who came in that year and people kind of thought oh Dante Fowler this guy's a, a bust he's got attitude problems and then he comes in and not only does he perform well, but he accepts that locker room culture right away and becomes a valued member of the, of that group and understood it. And people took him under his wing, under their wing, and and off they went. So you, you I think there's the temptation or the the understandable uh, thought that that's just going to continue. That's just the way that it's going to go. It's just going to keep ha- getting handed down, handed down, handed down without, like you said, Jordan, that that rule book necessarily or that list of things that you that you assign or whatever. But but then that got a little sideways and and this this played into you know some of my <laughs> criticism of the of the Allen Robinson thing that that we've gone back and forth on is that I think there was an element there that you're taking Robert Woods out of that locker room uh, who was a huge part of of building that culture that you're talking about. And you're not just taking Robert Woods out of it. You're taking him out of it at the same time you're taking Andrew Whitworth out of it at the same time that you're taking Johnny Hecker out of it. And, and you know, somebody else who so you're, you're, you're losing big parts, big chunks of that. Uh, culture that 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 you had helped build. You're losing three captains right there in one off season, and I understand the idea that okay, that is so in place, that is so ingrained now that it's okay if those guys move on. It's okay because other guys will step up. We have people here who understand that and can step into those roles, and and I'm sure that that does happen. I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but I think it's, it circles back to your point, Jordan. Of you need to make sure when you're at the top, you can't just assume that. You can't just assume that that's happening you need to get in there on the ground level and make sure that everybody understands that make sure everybody is on the same page and and that that sounds I, again i'm not there every day people listening to this might say you're you're talking out of your butt like that that's that is happening like but i just think you need you need to make sure you need to make sure that that culture is as strong as it was every year you can't you can't let that slip and i think it can vary it's a slippery slope it can start to slip slowly and and kind of you know get away from where you were so i think that's what we're talking about here jordan right it's, it's just kind of getting back in there and making sure okay does, you know does, does everybody understand this like are we all are we all clear here am i presenting as as the head coach as the leader of this of this group am i presenting this in the right way is it does everybody understand it am i being clear am i answering all the questions uh i i think i don't think that's a hard thing to do is it i think it, it just you just have to be attentive well, to it's, it it's and hard mindful. to do right because obviously you could do it but like mm. is it actual fun is it actually functional based on the people you have like yeah so i think okay. the difficult thing is discerning how to do it i think there are a variety of options that they could, you know, look at and, and all of that in terms of, of how to do that. And I think, you know, like I said, I think having a the way he hires will tell me a lot about what he thinks of this p- particular topic. Um, the way that he delegates tasks to different assistants will tell me a lot about what he thinks. And, and also maybe some of the personnel changes that they make um, and some of the the people that they uh, lean, lean into a little bit more heavily. I think, you know, it was pretty open that he was leaning heavily on Bobby Wagner through the end of the season. Um, right. I mean, he was really, really open about that. And I think that that was, you know, you're looking for cultural foundation points at that po- time, because I think you look up, you've been plugging all the leaks in the boat for the entire year, because again, caveat injuries but yes you've been plugging frenetically like all of these leaks and all of a sudden you look up and you're like i don't even recognize the space that i'm in because it's so there's been so much attrition and there's been so much those types of things and and i don't i certainly don't blame the like anyone for that frankly um i do think that moving moving on whether circumstantially or actively um from different you know, cornerstone players that had established a previous culture. I think that that's still in terms of, if you're looking at the football side of it, I think that's still fine as long as you have a plan in place on the other side. And it just felt like either it was the wrong plan culturally, or it just didn't work. Or like I said, there were maybe not the correct assistance in place in some, in some areas, 
who were going to carry that forward in that communication of this is what we stand for. This is why we do it. Um, and, and I think you kind of more, I'm more so like looking at the offensive lines when I say that specifically, because that's a right. huge loss. Losing Andrew with, with, with the retirement is a huge loss. I think that you look at some of the coaches who did it right. I mean, I think, I think Eric Yarber is like criminally underrated in this league. Right. Um, and you could see the culture that he created in the room when their top two receivers, when Cooper Cup, the Super Bowl MVP, mm-hmm. goes down with an injury, like you, you never saw these guys internally flinch. I mean, yeah, you're going to drop in production naturally <laughs> when you right. lose your starting quarterback and you lose your receiver. But then you started to see some of these other guys come out of their shell, like Tutu Atwell. I mean, yeah, I think there's some issues with the way he has to be schemed into the offense, like all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm open about that. But like you saw this guy like totally come out of his shell in the locker room and he's laughing and joking and he's in a great mood and like because he's being encouraged to be who he is. And you see Brandon Powell come out of his shell and and really be more featured. You see Ben Skoranek, I mean, develop like night and day to what he was last year. You see Van Jefferson like really quietly very much emerge as someone who just has that precision down once he got his legs under him in terms of what he can do and what he's capable of and guys gravitating toward him. Like you saw all of these things happen. And I think a lot of that is because Sean knows that the right assistant coach is in place there in Eric Yarber to communicate what that culture is. Cause Yarbs knows he's been there. He knows right. what it is and what it's supposed to be. And so I think when you're looking at, different hires and the rest of, of, of some of these position groups and some of these different things that they're going to be making changes um, in, I think that's also a big thing that you're looking at is how can you communicate what the standards are, not just on the field, but, but culturally as well. I think that's part of the reason you saw um, I mean, I'm saying like it, for the positive mm-hmm. Yarbs's group did not flinch and yeah. you didn't see that necessarily in a, every other phase. And I think that, the the contrast there is it shows kind of it, do you have a plan culturally for when things start to go completely totally wrong and so making those moves that they did um last year i think you you know and and andrew whitworth was not a move they made it was you know he retired but like right. you can understand from a football perspective but you have to have the right plan in place on the other side whether it's right. catastrophe and circumstantial or whether it's something that the team enacts yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's it's easy. And that's why I, I almost put an asterisk on my own little comment here. Like, I know it's 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 easier to see that from the outside, right? Like, it's easier to take a step back and see things happen so fast there. And you know, you're coming off of a Super Bowl and you've got, you know, coaching moves and you've got to make hires. And it, it's it's I, I understand how it can be difficult in in the moment or on the fly to kind of self-assess like that. But I think you have to. And and I, I, I think if, if you're looking at it, if you're if you're trying to find a, a positive from the Rams going five and 12. Um, I, I think this is an opportunity now to take a st- step back and do that assessment and and look at all of these phases that we're talking about and saying, are we at our best here? Uh, I totally agree with you about Eric Yarber. And then, then the two names that we've just mentioned during this uh, podcast being uh, Jiro Evero and, and Opry Pleasant, I think fostered that same type of attitude mm-hmm. uh, when they were with the Rams. So you can certainly understand why they there would be some uh, motivation to bring those guys back in. They do understand the culture. They were very effective in in that sort of thing, building that that type of culture on the defense. So it would make a lot of sense in those ways, in the in all those ways to uh, to bring those guys back. Really and, important. And stuff, I will say you know? too, and and just say it because because like I think we all, I think collectively, the vast majority of this fan base, and I'm not counting like some of the uh, people who like are very, very vocal specifically and, and like concerningly about the, you know, yes. this character of this person. But like, right. I think the vast majority of this fan base would be delighted to see Raheem Morris get a head coaching job just to see, to see what he can do in this second time right. around. And it's a great story and you're happy for the guy and all this stuff. I will say if they can get a Jiro in, in, in that circumstance, if they can get a Jiro in, you know, a Jiro Evero's got the EQ, but he's also got a little Brandon Staley to him too, where he's going to try to kick your ass at practice every day, but, he, but <laughs> right. he's got the EQ. Like that's yeah. the thing you hear Jalen talk about it. And I know Jiro a little bit and like you, you see it and you hear Jalen talk about it. And I think you've got a, 
a pivotal and, and Aubrey Pleasant too. I mean, you've got a pivotal time to develop some of these young DBs and you've got Jalen, mm-hmm. you know, reaching sort of in his prime years where you have to maximize that prime. And I think, you know, you're, you're looking at that type of thing. So um, I do think that would be the right, if, if Raheem gets a head coaching job, I think that would be like the absolutely right decision, throw the bag at him. Whatever you got to do. I mean, it's not glamorous what assistant coaches are paid in this league, but like right, you, right. you really got to throw the bag at that at that guy. I mean, <laughs> and then and he's probably also then going to get head coaching opportunities, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. it, it's functionally for the organization. If you're looking at it in terms of all of the little sort of uh, like checklist sheets that the org looks that looks at as a business and a football staff. But then you also look at the EQ. I mean, I think it's a, I think stuff like that's a home run. Absolutely. It, it would check a lot of boxes. Um, there's no question about it for all of these things that, that we've been talking about. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen here? It's it's going to be uh, fascinating uh, to see. Jordan, of course, you're on top of it. And again, just to, just to reiterate here, as you as you kind of started, there's going to be a lot of things happening uh, yeah. behind the scenes here. And I'm sure people will see a lot of things on on Twitter and the, this coach and that coach. Uh, the Rams more than likely are going to wait in an official sense to to, uh, announce that coaching staff. I remember when uh, O'Connell got hired in that group, like they kind of did it as a group. Yeah, uh, basically. That's right what's going to happen OTAs. here. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what's going to happen here. I don't know if it'll be that long all the way up to OTAs, but, um, you know, there will be things that I, I could share. Right. Um, before that, but there will also be in terms of formalized contract signed. It's usually like, these deals get formally signed sometime in the spring and that's when they announce them and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. So be patient, please. I promise you'll have the answers that you're seeking. Um, Mm -hmm. In the meantime, can I interest you in some strongly worded hints? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We need to have like a we need to have like a decoder ring uh, that, that we put out for for people to uh, understand what we're saying. No, but I'm just trying to trying to manage expectations a little bit because I know there's and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like we we love we love the passion of listeners of your readers and and we certainly understand the uh, the desire for information and everybody wants to know what's what's going to happen. Is just that sometimes those answers are going to come sooner than others and sometimes things might not uh, be official um, until they are official but I can tell you one thing for sure that you're not going to find a better source for this information whether or not it's uh, directly distributed or through strongly worded hints uh, <laughs> you're, you're not going to find a better uh, source for this than Jordan so um, thanks Jordan for for all of your work and uh, I know the the off season is not as, as restful maybe as uh, we're, we're going to get you some time off I promise we're going to uh, I'll find a, a guest host for you. You can you can take your own version of this of the Thailand trip um, and, and, and get away from all of us for, for a while. But uh, until then, we greatly appreciate you. You can find those strongly word worded hints on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue, uh, along with a lot of great content and analysis also. And of course, if you haven't joined us already, I don't know what else we can say. It's all there. Great story. Jordan, we didn't even have time to talk about the turf story, which was read the grass story. You know what I said? I was like, listen, guys, I I was on a a Bill Bardwell show last week and he was like, yeah, what what do you you know to this time where you like plug the plug the the articles and stuff. And and, and, um, I was like, listen, if you guys would quite literally read a story about grass, then hear one more word about Sean McVay. <laughs> this is the story for you. <laughs> grass growing, a story about grass growing. Because, like, that? I know Rams fans, and as they should be, are are really curious and wanting to know how all of this stuff happens and how it plays out. But for like a huge, like, broader audience, I'm like, yeah. listen, if you guys can't stand, can't deal with hearing one more single word about right. Sean McVay right. um, and his a- situation, here's a story about grass growing. <laughs> Story about grass growing. Uh, no, it's very funny, but uh, it it's it was a story that was not only informative and uh, it it's it's moving the conversation forward, which I think is is the best thing you can ever say about a story is that it it got people uh, talking, and I think it is pushing the conversation forward and uh, leading people to ask questions and and look at. So I, I encourage if you haven't already. 
I, I I don't say this to be provocative. It's worth the price of a subscription uh, just just to read uh, this this story that Jordan, along with uh, our our Chargers writer Daniel Popper, uh, produced. And Jordan put so much time into doing this. I know because I was hearing about it for for weeks months. and weeks. All of the yeah months all. So uh, congratulations on an outstanding uh, uh, story there. And if by chance you haven't already, yeah. Thanks, Rich. And I yeah, just want yeah. to interrupt really quickly because one thing, so I'm a silver linings person, as you know. And so like one thing that was really cool, I think reporting on that story at this time in the Rams own arc was super, super beneficial. It was a lot of work. Yes, but it was super beneficial to me personally in assessing this Rams situation because I quite literally was dropping into other buildings uh, to report mm. this turf turf and grass story, speaking yeah. to, you know, dozens of players, executives, specialists, medical personnel across the league, um, largely, uh, frankly, largely for background information on this really complicated subject. And, and, um, and so it allowed me to helicopter into other spaces. And when you do that, you get a clearer look sort of when you're not in something, you get a clearer look at what's going on in that in the space that you just came from uh, because it naturally juxtaposes to everything else. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just was right. really, I think, because I was so like, like I said, I always try to look at the positive and stuff. And so it's like, I was like, well, that was a lot of work, but I think it really helped me understand better about kind of like holistically what's happening here because you're, you step out of it for a second, like you leave you step out of, you know, I'm, right. I'm obviously I'm there every day and I'm in the I'm in the mess, but like you <laughs> mentally step out of it from time to time to look at different viewpoints and perspectives, which was really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You as a beat writer, I mean, I know it's it's easy to get kind of caught in your own bubble. I mean, that that becomes the the word we use all the time is ecosystem, right? I mean, that becomes you, you, you become such an expert on your own ecosystem and then you you you, your horizons get broadened and you go, oh, wow, there's 31 other ecosystems out here uh, that, that you can explore and and learn from. So uh, that's always a fantastic opportunity. And and you certainly uh, capitalized on that and, and did the most with that. So, uh, again, if you if you haven't seen it yet, it's very easy to find in our athletic. You go to the NFL feed, go to the Rams feed, Chargers feed, whatever it may be. You can you can find it uh, very accessibly there. And and if you haven't subscribed yet, I've got great news because you can click on that same story and and find that you need a subscription and then and then what you do okay step two go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel sign up get that great tour story get jordan's great column that published monday morning about the rams future get your primer for the off season and make jordan very happy by getting her favorite thing in the entire world which is what a great discount, you guys. Still, I don't know how they keep letting us do this, but still, every single time you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Guys, so appreciate. Like, we, you know, we put our hearts into the last episode and you guys put your hearts right back into us and really, really just appreciate that, feel that. Um, thank you guys for continuing to check on me. I hope, uh, you know, I hope you guys are all taking care of yourselves as well. Um, and as always, friends, uh, stay hydrated and stay caffeinated. Hey, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>